0: What? <laughs> so uh welcome to the panel. We uh we're gonna get started. We uh we kinda are crunch for time. Can y'all hear me out there? Okay, great. So we weren't able to answer all of the questions that were sent in. We're sending a lot of questions. Uh some of the questions uh we hope that you guys will uh will approach some of the guys one on one. Uh questions like Brody, what did you do to get all that gas out of your diesel truck? And maybe you could have a one-on-one with Brody. Uh, questions like that. So um, we're going to jump right in and just uh, just go down the line. We've assigned these questions to each one of these guys. And some of these questions have to do with specific student ministry su- situations. Some of them have to do with uh, we're dealing with situations as far as the church as a whole. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. So let me pray and then we'll we'll uh, we'll pitch the first question to to mitch uh, Let me pray for us Jesus, thank you for these men women who are Laboring in the gospel who are faithfully preaching your word and ministering Yeah, you know, I thank you for the churches that are uh, Represented in this room god the families and the situations that these guys are are dealing with day to day god I pray that you would just use this weekend to encourage them to be able to deal with them scripturally and with grace god i pray that we all would be fighting sin that we would be looking at the heart issue for our students god and i just pray that these guys would be blessed richly in ministry god um god that they would uh, just be seeking you personally god that we'd all be be seeking seeking personally to be a a disciple that we'd be following you personally and and god that you would aid us as we as we're uh, making disciples We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so our first question is for Mitch, and the question goes like this. It's, how do you effectively mentor and disciple youth who are addicted to porn or struggling with bisexuality? Now, this question came in the form of two separate questions, but we've combined it into one. How do you effectively mentor and disciple youth who are addicted to porn or are struggling with bisexuality?
1: Here we go. Um, I want to get, uh, for the first one, addicted to porn, I um, I get to, uh, I mean, I taught for 10 years, uh, middle and high school students, coach, uh, assistant coach football, and uh, particularly dealing with young men, I've never seen more ec- epidemic uh, pornography introduced at younger ages than ever before. These things right here, my 15-year-old son saw something he shouldn't have seen two years ago in the halls of a Christian, private Christian school, okay? So, it's all over the place, right? And so, um, my hunch is that more and more and more are actually wrestling with this. Very few actually surface and admit it, right? And, and unfortunately, probably who they're speaking to are wrestling with it as well, Right, and so um, I think a couple things when we talk effectively mentoring and discipling those who are addicted to porn. I think the first thing you have to recognize is this is a this is going to be a very long term project. Number one, this isn't going to get fixed tomorrow, so you're going to have to take a long term approach. I think number two, you're going to have to realize that this is also a brain issue. Um, I'll give you a website conquerseries.com. ConquerSeries.com dot uh, com is a phenomenal. Now these guys are in a different theological. They, they're not heretics, but they're for, from the Foursquare. Um, they got they're anyway. Do some pretty awesome, inpatient treatment from a Christian worldview with brain issues. Uh, one of the things you'll see if you go to Conquer Series if you do this with men. I my teenage sons have watched this and gone through it with me, being very proactive the brain addicted to cocaine and the brain addicted to porn look exactly alike because of cutting off the way the brain functions where we think about things, you know, long-term and effects. It just acts instinctively. So recognizing that a, a student who's wrestling with this, there's truly some mental things that you got to work through, chemical things that have happened, and they've been conditioned, and that's going to take some reversing. Recognizing you to have to read some stuff. Doug Weiss. W-E-I-S-S. He's a Christian uh, counselor. It's done a lot of work in neuroscience. Um, Has some phenomenal stuff. His book called Clean, C-L-E-A-N, Clean, is a great resource. Um, And so realizing that you can walk them through the repair of their brain, spiritually and physically. Um, the brain can actually recover from this kind of stuff. It just takes time. And so you're going to have to give them some good resources. I'd say look at conquerseries.com, order it, do it as men in your church, um, and work young men through it so realize it's going to take time. I'm still working with guys who've been through this uh, and their sons. And so it's going to take time. Number two, you're going to have to read. There's some neurological things you're going to have to just get aware of and be aware to uh, work through that. Um, um, but just educate yourself. Read Doug Weiss. Do Conquer series, and that will open you up to a ton of really good resources to help you get on this long-term, long-term uh, uh, thing. Bisexuality. Um, I don't have time to tell you the story, but worked with a, a young man who was wrestling with that issue. Um, went to a particular church in our town. A man told him he had recovered from that. Uh, begin to mentor him and begin to abuse him. And uh, um, I learned what not to do. And so the first thing I think you can't do when we're wrestling with sexual orientation issues, whether it's homosexuality, bisexuality, is, uh, is condemn them. You have to be a listener and, and learner. Um, secondly, be empathetic with how they feel. Um, they feel how they feel. A person feels, any of us feel how we feel, so be empathetic, listen. I think a third thing is, do not die on ne- unnecessary hills, right? Um, one of those, and this could be very controversial, and y'all, y'all may like start throwing rotten tomatoes at me, but um, I, I've learned, if we're born sinners, we can be born with wiring crossed all over the place. And so if a student comes and says, I was born this way don 't fight them on that. they may have been because there's this thing called the fall and the curse and and some people are kleptomaniacs, and all they 've never known on is stealing, right you know what I'm saying you know what i 'm saying so um, this can be one of those wires, so don 't die on an unnecessary hill. Just recognize Jesus can fix and heal. Um, I say a fourth thing is have, have in your mind that you may have to walk them the rest of their lives through fighting this. There may not be a doing away with it. Jesus can fix and heal and totally reverse orientation. I believe that with all my heart. But He can also grant grace to not ever give in to the temptation too. And so it will be a fight. But walk with them and help them fight. And um, and so that's what I have learned to do in those situations, working with students in our church and in the school where I taught. So that's...
0: All right, second question's for Jeff, uh, and this question is, what would you say to a minister who seasonally doubts his faith?
2: So for someone who seasonally doubts their faith, I think the, the first thing is to press deeply the gospel into your heart. And um, so a lot of times people who, who are struggling with with doubt, they have to realize that that we don't obey to be accepted by God. Um, we're accepted by God and that births a desire for obedience. Um, and a lot of times when you're trying to obey to get God's acceptance, you find yourself struggling with, I just don't know if he loves me or not. I don't know if I'm doing enough things and we have to rest in his acceptance. And that's a rhythm that you see from beginning to end in scripture. I mean, I love seeing that gospel rhythm throughout, throughout the old Testament as well as the new, but, but acceptance comes first. Um, we have to press truths into our lives. Um, personally, we need to have people who love us pressing these in as well. For instance, we have to have people saying, In Christ, um, nothing you do makes God love you more. And nothing you have done or will do will make him love you less. And, um, and pray and ask God to help you believe that. Um, something interesting for me, uh, I love Matthew 11 with John the Baptist, he's in prison and he's struggling with doubt. And and here you have a guy that born of woman, there's no greater man, a guy that baptized Christ, a guy who leapt in his mother's womb when she was next to Mary with Jesus in Mary's womb. And, and in his darkest moment, he said he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, are you the one or should we expect another? Um, so I think if you're doubting, um, you're in good company and we need to make room for doubt, And I think it's healthy for us to do that with our students as well. But even as, as ministers, there's times when when we go, do I really believe this stuff? And I'm not, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I don't do that. I mean, there's times at night when I go, do I really believe this? And, and God normally whacks me upside the head and, and I move on. But um, but I think that that if, if you're struggling with that, um, a really great book is, I forgot the title of it, but it's by Barnabas Piper. I think he's only written one book, but um, is it called Doubt? I don't know. Um, look at Barnabas Piper, John Piper's son, um, has, a, has a great read on that. Um, if you're struggling with assurance of salvation, um, which I, I don't think is out of the realm. I think Mitch opened up with, with he was a chaperone on a trip when he gave his life to Christ. Um, the first thing I would do is I would dig deeply into 1 John. I would just get into that book, get a get a good commentary to help you kind of understand or a, a study Bible to understand what's going on with that. But I would wrestle with that. Um, And if you, if you need a, another book that reads um, a little bit more on, on kind of a a normal person's level, um, I would check out JD Greer's book, stop asking Jesus into your heart. And so I think those are, so, but first I would go to first John and this kind of supplementary reading. I would look at that book and I I thought it was interesting. The question said seasonal. Um, If you've identified a season in your life, that's where I think what Brody talked about having those valves is really important. So for me, I know. November to March is dangerous for me in depression. Like I I just identified that seasonally struggling with depression. So during those months, I have to be super intentional with two things. One is some marriage advice my wife and I got when we were engaged from a a little barista in a small town of Georgia. I said, if if you're getting married, what what would you tell me? And um, she said, she looked at me next to my my wife or, or soon to be wife. And she said, she looked at her and she goes, your husband needs 15 minutes when he gets home. 15 minutes to do nothing, to sit on the couch, turn on the TV and zone out. You really need to give him 15 minutes. Then she looked at me and goes, your wife needs more words than, you know, after she gives you 15 minutes, you just need to listen to her talk. Don't try to provide answers. Don't just listen. And, um, and it was the best. I I had no idea how incredible that advice would be, but, um, but for, for November to March, I need those 15 minutes. My wife knows I need those 15 minutes. And I also know that it's it's extremely important for me to at least have three days a week where I have an hour just to work out. Like I need three days a week where I have an hour just to go and, and get under a barbell and lift the dang thing. And, um, and I, but like that's crucial for me not to slip into depression. So I, I would think if it's a seasonal thing and you've identified that to find some of those valves that you need just to, to help have some release on that as well.
0: I found one of the, biggest things for me you know and and in, in the past struggling with doubt uh, i think the best tool for me personally in struggling with doubt is to have a, a rock solid understanding of the gospel to understand the calling of christ and redemption and how that works and like to go back to the scripture so that you're not listening to your feelings as they come through but you're preaching the gospel to yourself as it comes through um, and I, I found that to be helpful personally Uh third question is for zach the question is how do you change a church culture from valuing conversions alone to valuing discipleship as well?
3: Okay, yeah, this is a big question. This happens all the time with us that so we get to hear, with, uh, especially in student ministry, because in student ministry you'll often have a pastor who says, this is how many people you need to have in your group. And when you, if you don't have this many people, then you know start looking for another job or something similar to that. And if you have the ability to help affect the culture of your church, then, well, if you're in the church, you have the ability to help affect the culture of your church. And so I think uh, a couple of things we need to remember. One is that uh, when people say, you, you hear people who sound really great and they say, we well, you know, we've realized it's not about the numbers. And at first you think, man, that's so honorable. And then you realize, no, it is also about numbers. Right, because those numbers represent eternal souls for whom Christ died. So, is it a bad idea to try to reach more people with the gospel? Absolutely not. Yeah, that that is that's huge. But balanced with that, we need to realize that we're our our call is to be faithful. Our call is to be faithful to the gospel, and God will bring some people to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. That's. That's what he uses. He uses preaching the gospel and that not everybody that you talk to is going to respond with faith in Christ. In fact, most of the people that you talk to are not, when you're talking to them about the gospel, gonna respond with faith, right? So our 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 call in there is to be faithful in that. And we do need to value conversions. We need to value conversions and we need to make it clear we value conversions because someone is coming from death to life. But we need to value this as a good starting point for discipleship. And that's what uh, Mitch mentioned earlier in his first session, that this is the beginning of discipleship. Discipleship doesn't take place unless conversion takes place. So we need to value conversion. We need to exalt in that, worship in that. Angels are worshiping and exalting in that, so we should also. And then we need to, the way that we can influence our church culture is to realize that it's going to take a long time. This is going to take a really long time. Because so many people, especially in the Bible Belt and in in our culture, this is what they talk about. They talk about people being saved. And so what there's two areas that we can affect this is one is teaching and one is practice in teaching. We need to over and over reiterate that the the last thing that Jesus told us to do was to go into all the nations and make disciples. And we need to you see discipleship all throughout Scripture. It's everywhere in Scripture. What does Jesus do? Jesus makes disciples, right? We see Jesus taking three years to really disciple 12 guys, 11 of whom got it, right? And then we see, what does Paul do? Paul makes disciples. And so the more we study and teach the New Testament, the more discipleship is going to come out. The more we're going to see discipleship. So we need to point that out. We need to show it. I mean, even in 2 uh, in Timothy when Paul says, this is what you're supposed to do, what you've heard from me, and trust us to faithful men who are also going to be able to do this again, right? So we see it's you're investing in these people who are investing in these people who are investing in these people. This is the plan. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what we see. And then so we need to teach that, realizing it's going to take a long time to take root, and we need to practice it. So if we're if we are discipling people who are discipling people, then that in itself is going to help change the church culture. So we need to value conversions as a, as someone moving from death to life. We need to be thankful that when there, when the numbers are increasing, but we need to also keep in mind that our goal is to make faithful disciples because that is what is obedient to Jesus and. And the main reason we should focus on that is so that we don't leave people stranded. Because in so many times when the goal is let's preach the gospel, make sure that they pray this, then we feel like we're done. When in reality, we're bringing somebody into a kingdom, then locking the door, you know? you need to bring them in and you need to teach them to obey the things that Jesus commanded us that's what he told us teaching them to obey these things that's the goal the goal is preach the gospel and then once they're believers we've heard, I mean we've heard today then we continue to apply the gospel that's the goal that's how you know we need to make disciples we need to and so we 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 do need to move further than just make sure they pray a prayer Cause that's the beginning of fulfilling the great commission. And then I want to say one thing about the doubt, um, for someone who struggles with doubt, another aspect uh, more personally is I think it's, it's super beneficial when, if you're, if, if you know that you're the type of person that will sink into doubt, then you need to journal, write down when God teaches you and when God convicts you, because when the Holy Spirit is teaching you, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what God does to his children. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of, of sin, that is the creator of the universe taking the time to make sure that you're not as proud or arrogant or lustful or greedy. That's, he doesn't do that to people who aren't his children. So when you can remember those things, write those things down, compare them to what you're reading in Scripture, that, oh, I am a son or daughter of God. God's treated me this way. Then it can help also strengthen your faith in that way. That's good.
0: Our next question, uh, I think Jeff and Zach are both going to address this kind of from different angles. Um, Question number four is, what is the best way to handle public-slash-private-slash-homeschool parents? So public school, private school, homeschool parents. Not all the same person. <laughs> um, what's the best way to handle public, private homeschool parents that have different views on things that should be taught? So um, generally, you, as a
2: student minister, you have different types of parents. And sometimes there's the temptation where you're thinking, okay, I've got five homeschool kids. If I lose them, I could gain like 15 other kids. And then I got 10 more. But, uh, so I think first and foremost, you have to realize... That um, that God that God has called you to them, and um, and so a lot of times we struggle in youth ministry. We've got difficult kids. We've got to realize that God has called us to them to labor with them and to fight for them. And so, so the temptation to write them off and to be like, you know what, just I'm just gonna ignore them. Don't do that. Fight for them. Um, so I've just got three suggestions to help out here. My first suggestion is, um, I would say preach the Bible, which I know sounds kind of silly to say that, but, um, the temptation is to, in student ministry is like, okay, you need a creative series. I mean, kids are getting ready to go back to school. So let's think about that. Let's have a four part series. We'll call it saved by the bell. And, um, and so here's, here's my arc. And then, and so you find yourself just, con- that was a Doug Fields thing. Um, so don't want to, don't want to plagiarize here. Um, but, but anyway, like, but like, then you just feel like there's always this pressure with another series and, and eventually you're like, okay, I need a dating series. I need a series on, on hot topics in culture. And then eventually you're going to get some conflict on, well, I don't want my kid coming to this. And, um, so I'd say, man, just walk, maybe it's because I'm not creative enough. Just walk through this, walk through scripture be Like, All right, we're going to do old Testament in the fall and new Testament in the spring. Just get a rhythm of going back and forth and allow scripture to bring up the topics. Um, so then what I would do with that is offer special breakouts on touchy stuff and do them on off church days because some people, especially in the, in the homeschool realm, I feel like a lot of my homeschoolers have always thought like if the church doors are open, I've got to be there. And so if you do it on a Wednesday night, they're going to come. And then even if they don't want you to be it, and you're going to feel like, I want to teach this, but I feel awkward. Do like a Saturday morning. Hey, Saturday morning, we're going to talk about the gospel and homosexuality. It's just just a special topic. You know, so that that might be a good way to handle that if that's an issue. Um, Suggestion two is communicate. Um, First, communicate to your pastor. If you're going to be talking about something crazy that some parents are going to be mad about, the first thing you want is your pastor to have your back. And so let him know like what you're going to be talking about. The last thing you want is a parent to call like, you know, what your youth minister said. He's like, actually, I don't like, you know, so so just don't let him be caught off guard by surprise. Let him know what's what's talking about, because I guarantee you as a pastor, if Nathan talks about something crazy and we've already talked about it, I'm having his back. And I'm so glad that he let me know what he's talking about so I can prepare something beforehand and also communicate to parents. Um, I I made it a point like every Monday I I, I sent out a parent email that covered kind of what we, what we talked about this last week and what's coming up. And that way they might see like, oh, there's the dating talk. I actually don't agree with dating. I think it's a courtship. And so because I have a philosophical disagreement with this topic, I might pull my kids back on this specific night. So just communicate. And then the third thing, which, which would tie into the whole teaching the Bible thing, have a philosophy of ministry, Um, So that way parents see the culture of how you're going to do ministry. And so I've always said that kids, we live in this like, overly entertained, under-committed world. And so what I would do is I'd say, parents, your kids are memorizing the periodic table. They're learning calculus and basic government principles and balancing equations and chemistry. You're going to tell me they can't handle more complex things about scripture. Like I'm going to teach the Bible and we're going to wrestle with tough stuff because I think your kids can understand it. And um, and so that was part of my philosophy of ministry. So people knew that we were going to try to handle some of the weighty, tough stuff um, in, in the world, so...
3: Uh, yeah, the only thing I would add, I think that's great. What? I got it. No, hey. Oh, yeah, it was. we? Uh, I'm fine. We just have one microphone, you know. Sometimes your hands are going to touch weird, you know. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting red. Uh I don't know if I don't know if Mitch is going to accept an invitation back anytime soon, but I think that's great. As uh, what Jeff said, back to that. Um, yeah, I do think this this provide this does provide an awesome opportunity to minister to parents, um, to help influence parents, help help parents understand where you are where you're going with things. It's huge, you know, because you know for the most part, most of your parents they don't care what's happening. With their, with their kids, they've just pawned them off to you. So when you have parents that are actually want to be involved in their kid's life, then that's great. Talk, talk through stuff with them, give a sounding board, you know, talk, talk about because a lot of times parents will say, you know, I disagree with this. And then when you talk through it with them, then they realize, oh, well, we're more on board than I thought. And now you've gained an ally, right? So this is great. You're, you want to help parents with their kids. In fact, you want parents to disciple their kids. That's what, I mean, that's, that would be ideal. You, a lot of you'd be out of jobs, but you want parents to do that, right? So, so that's great. Also, you know, you do need to realize that, um, part of what you're doing, part of your job is to help instill in your students, a biblical worldview, So as you teach through Scripture, it is great to point out how this relates to where they are in their lives, what's happening right now in our culture, especially And if if your students aren't learning about um, sexual orientation and gender identity from a Christian worldview, then they're going to get really screwed up, and they're going to grow up and join churches that have abandoned the gospel, or not at all. So we do do need to be applying Scripture. And what Jeff's saying is awesome. If you're going to be, if you're communicating with parents what's happening, and you're teaching through the Bible, and you're meeting with them to help clarify, then then that a lot of that's going to work itself out. But then when you and when you have conflict, then you can then you can deal with those specific issues.
0: Next question is for Rob. The question is, do you or should you separate your personal study and sermon prep time? Yes and no. Um, uh,
4: So for for me personally, um, I don't separate them, uh, and but but rarely is that ever like. So for our church right now, we're going through Philippians, um, and so and I, I probably will get to preach out of the book. You know, we alternate pastors in our church who's preaching, and and so you know, every four weeks I may get to go, something like that. So I'm studying through it and then, but rarely is it the only thing I'm ever studying. A lot of times for me personally, um, when I enter into my time with the Lord, my focus time, you know, when I really have got that set apart, usually, you know, earlier in the morning or, you know, late at night when the kids are in bed, um, I usually enter in that time by reading Psalms, reading, you know, just, uh, you know, reading through the Old Testament, just getting large portions of scripture, just let it wash through my mind and, and focus me and you know, and usher me into the presence of the Lord. Um, but for me, the, 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 focused study, like the more in depth that is usually, uh, very connected to either what I'm teaching through as a pastor or in preparation for something coming up, uh, very specific for camp. So maybe when summer's rolling and I know I've got a out, like that enters into that time. And for me, um, that's really good. And so some of this will be preferential. And even I think probably out of the five of us, like there'd be a little bit of different opinions, and that's fine. But I wanted to read this passage as it relates to it, because I think there is a key component on why, no matter what you preach, uh, that it should always very much be something that the Lord has worked into your into your life. Um, so this is First Timothy chapter 4, 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one... "'Despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. "'Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. "'Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. "'Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress.'" Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So the 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 key of what he's saying, he's like, all right, when you he's, Paul, the apostle, instructing Timothy as he pastors his church, he's saying, "Man, read the scripture, exhort and teach it." Or some some translations would just say doctrine. Like you've got to explain what the scripture means. So, like, I mean, we need to study. We need to we need to do our homework to know what the text is saying, and 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 dive into that. And, and it is very hard work and intellectual. And that's where we do. We 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 use tools that the Lord has afforded us to use to get the right meaning of the text. And then He says, and but then the exhortation, right? Like, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? And so, as a as a pastor, thinking about how I take this text find what it means, what did God mean by what he says, and then how I apply that to the people that I'm shepherding, right? So, I, I need one, I need to know my people. I need to know where they're at. I need to know what's going on, have my finger on the pulse of our church's life or youth group's life. But then also, like, for me, I mean, to be able to do that, to be able to really give the exhortation to them, like, I can't skip that in my own life, right? Like, I can't just spend all my time thinking about what this means and looking at the original language and realizing I don't know Greek um, and then (laughs) read some commentaries of people who do and spend all my time there and then go, oh yeah, I need some application at the end of the sermon. If it's going to be a sermon, uh, what do we do? What should I say? But uh, man, that needs to be where I've done that hard work to get the meaning and then it's got to be personal. How can it not be personal when I've spent that time not just to get information, but to but to find the truth of who God is and who he 's made me to be and what he 's commanding us to do and be, like to sit under that myself and allow the exhortation from the Holy Spirit in this text to move in my own life and my own mind, and then pass that on right pass that on personally. this is what i 've learned here and and knowing my people and where they 're at, like this is how I see this passage hitting all of us does that make sense mm-hmm. and so yeah i think there's gonna be times when yeah you're you're preparing to teach and, and it's separate from maybe where you're personally studying but I, mean, I don't think we can ever handle a text of scripture and it not become uh personal and and devotional
0: so yes no <laughs> <clears throat> all right we got three more questions This this question's for jeff what advice would you give a first-year or first-time student minister?
2: I'm going to fly through this. Um, the first thing is no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, a lot of times you can spend 20, 25 hours a week preparing talks, cut that down to 15 hours and use that other 10 hours to be with students. Um, being with them means so much more, and that's what earns the right for them to, to hear you out. Uh, One of the best ways to do this that I found for student ministry is get a calendar for the school year and ask them, say like, Hey, what are two or three things that you'd love for me to be at? And just put them down in my calendar put it in their court and then make it a point to make sure you go to one of their things. Cause you have so many students, there's no way you can go to all of their stuff and there's always going to be one student. You just really like going to their stuff. Um, so this helps you kind of put in their court and makes, helps you divvy out like how to go to things that they're involved in. Um, so no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, next thing don't rip off podcasts. Um, a lot of times you listen to Matt Chandler or someone like that and you're thinking this is good. I can't say it any better. But what what God taught him or put on his heart to say to people in Dallas, Texas, isn't the same as what your students need to hear wherever you're at. So I'd say if you're listening to podcasts, man, what they say, let that be like five to 10% at most of your talk. Make sure that you are teaching what God wants your students to hear, not what they want, what God wants the village church to hear. Um, a huge thing is that ministry is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I said this earlier in my breakout, but you know, don't have a Messiah complex. Jesus didn't have one, and he was the Messiah. Um, it's it's okay to rest. It's okay to to make changes slowly. Um, I think another important thing, have an outlet in another state to vent to. Um, it is so tempting to try to talk to people in your church about the stuff you're dealing with. Just don't um unload your your crap on someone else that that's that's detached completely from the situation um something i learned the hard way the pastor always wins um, when you go toe to toe, it doesn't help anybody. And so if you think that you're going to start a rise and, and start at your own church or something, it, that that's not what I try to do. But, um, just me and the pastor didn't see eye to eye on philosophy of ministry. And, um, and it ended with me stepping away from the church. It ripped my heart out, ripped students' hearts apart. I mean, it was just, about, you know, like just And this guy was one of my best friends. <laughs> like, so we're, and so, um, so it just doesn't go well. So don't, don't try to go toe to toe with the pastor. Um, Calendar and communicate. Um, for my disciple now, like I had a 12-week calendar, like a checklist. So week 12, I looked at it and I had three or four things that needed to be done that week. Week 11, two to three things. And basically, I, I had a calendar that laid it out. That way, by week one of the, the weekend, it's like, buy snacks. And I had everything lined out just following that. I knew camp was an eight-month process. But having a calendar, known when things are happening and how far back you need to get started – is huge for time management and also just for making sure things go as smoothly as possible. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Parents don't want the recipe, they want the menu. Um, so you can write the longest, most detailed emails, just give them the menu. Um, another thing I found is huge is use problem parents. I had a parent that I can never communicate well enough to. She was always mad. I mean, she's like, I can't believe you said the kids in my email. They're not, they're not your kids. They're your students. Never call them a kid again. It's like, oh, my goodness. But um, what I did with her, Becky, is I, I just said, okay, Becky, um, um, I, I would love to send you my parent emails on Monday at at lunchtime before I send them out to the parents. You just go over them and make sure that everything that, it, that needs to be in there's in there. And then, so she would take that email. She would add three or four things. And when I sent it out, I knew that one person that wouldn't complain was Becky and my emails became better and she was being used. But there's ways, like when parents are problem parents, see if there's a way that you can use their complaints to your advantage to make your job better. Um, Set leaders up for success. Um, you want leaders. Leaders are huge in helping out with student ministry. So if you have middle schoolers that drain you and they're like, hey, I'd like to help out for camp and it's their first time, don't give them middle schoolers. <laughs> like, like, give them, like, if you know you have a stud senior group that's going to, like, they're going to go and they're going to be at this group and they're going to be pumped up set first time leaders up for success for a win so that they enjoy it and will come back. Um, so don't just give people your, your junk, like set them up for something they're going to enjoy and love because that will keep them coming back and and continue to be leaders. Um, here's a huge thing. Um, return from vacation on a Monday, because if you, if you're returning on a Saturday and you've got Sunday, you're not going to rest and you need to rest. So make sure when you, when you're lining up your vacation, Make sure that you are, like, not coming back on a Saturday to do Sunday stuff. That way you will be fully engaged with a vacation. Just three more things. Um, the longer you don't address something, the worse it gets. Case in point, David, if you look at the end of his life, he knew Solomon was was up next, but he wouldn't take a stand. He didn't want to offend his other son. What happens is death. Um, and that that's true in our lives, too. Like, if, if there's a problem and you think it's just going to pass, you're just setting things up to go worse. Um, knit stuff in the butt soon. Um, so the longer you, you don't address something, the worse it gets, um, lead how God's wired you to lead. Um, don't try to be someone you're not. And so this is, I, I think that 70% of your, your job should be life-giving. Um, and so lead in a way that you are leading how God has made you to be. And then um, then the final thing is is God loves your students more than you do. If you ever have to leave a church and you think it's going to rip you to shreds and you think, like, what's going to happen with this youth group if I'm not here, the the most confidence you have to have is, like, hey, God loves them more than you ever could. They're going to be okay. Um, I've, I've left two churches. One was, it was not pretty. I, 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 I hated it. The second one was amazing, um, and it was one of those deals where – when i was telling students that like they're like yeah i know god loves me more and that's good and like every like, so so i think holding on to that truth so there's those are just a handful of things that i would tell a first time first year guy there's probably more but hope that's enough
0: that's great that's good stuff and learn so much in ministering to students i encourage you guys that don't have to leave immediately after the last session to hang out and share what you've learned and glean stuff from other folks in student ministry cuz you can really uh, get a lot of good information just learning from other people's successes and failures. Uh, so uh, last two questions. This one's for Mitch. We have a small church with members who live far away. They live in different counties, go to different schools. So how can we cultivate community when we only see each other on Sundays and Wednesdays?
1: That's a, that's a great question um, for some strategy um, uh, applying a little outflow strategy, I would say first thing you have to do is commit to seeing each other more than Sunday and Wednesday. And and, and, and that's going to go somewhere, okay? So there's going to have to be a commitment to, to see each other. And I would say do that this way. Find a way to serve the community where you do gather, wherever the church is located. Find a way to serve the community uh, and come together from your various counties and serve... That community. Um, Preach the gospel, make disciples, and hopefully from that, church is going to grow. All right? Does that make sense? And then at that point, this is the church planter in me, the apostolic go plant churches guy. Ideally, you would begin to plant churches in the counties where people are coming from. As more disciples are being made, increasing your number, think about planting a church in the various counties where folks are coming from. This is a great thing about the New Testament. It was not pastors who planted churches. We do that here. We think you have to have a pastor to plant a church. In the New Testament, it was everybody planting churches. And pastors were appointed, pastor elders were appointed after the church was planted. Read that stuff carefully. Right? Paul told Titus, I appointed you to go and appoint pastors in every church in these cities. Right? And so the churches were planted by you and me. Right? And then pastors were grown up from within. So if you got disciples in a county where there needs to be a church, I would say to you, begin looking through the process of learning how to plant a church. Um, The kingdom expands through the multiplication of the church. And so serve your community, make disciples, and as that grows, think about planting people, sending them out to plant other churches. And I can actually help you with that. So that's kind of what I do. So you can contact me and I can teach you about church planting. So...
0: Great. Last question is for Rob. If a youth pastor is seeking more biblical education for his ministry, is college necessary, or should he rely on discipleship and personal study?
4: Both. Maybe. (laughs) Depends. Perhaps. Yes, Yes, no. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, For me, yes. For me, it was a and clear, yeah. Go to go to school and get educated because I didn't do that up until college. I just kind of floated, <laughs> and uh, so it was important for me. And I look back, and I'm so thankful that I got to go to a Christian college and 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 I have a seminary degree, and, and I'm I'm so thankful for it. And for me, it was essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that may be for you what God calls you to. And I think a lot of you, know, if you go back to MitchJolly.com um, and Read through me that that first message about, you know, listening to the Lord and and learning to hear from the Lord personally. You know, there's so much like in in counseling, if this is maybe, I've got time for a sidebar, sure. Um, Like, man, so much in counseling where like, you know, people come to you and they want to know like, what do I do? And it's easy for us sometimes just to tell them what we think they should do. And sometimes I think we need to back up and, and, and the larger lesson is this person needs to learn to hear from the Lord. And if I can help guide them in that and disciple them like, well, this is this. I, I can't tell you that. I don't know. I can tell you my opinion, but more important for your life is learn how in this trial, in this decision, in this unknown, learn how the Holy Spirit speaks to you personally. That's huge. And so go back, man, and think through those things. Because it may be, yeah, the Lord's calling you to do that. It may not make any sense right now, circumstance and where you are in life. It may not make any sense, but it might be what the Lord's calling you to do. And you need to search that out. It may not be. I think uh, Brody Holloway. Let's think about him. He was big. And. So, uh, But, you know, he's, uh, he, <laughs> he went to Liberty University to get a criminal justice degree. And from time to time, he'll say something in a sermon that reflects that, you know. But he is, is studied, and he is as <laughs> faithful a pastor and preacher as I know. Like, I mean, <laughs> he's awesome, and, and he disciples people, and he leads well, and he doesn't have that. You know, and and he's not missing anything because this passage that I'm about to read is true. And it's Second Peter, uh, chapter one, three through when I finish. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control steadfastness, and steadfastness seminary, and with... Whoops, that's not in there, right? Like is it could it be good yeah is that essential not no, no maybe not man what what the emphasis is on is like men pursuing jesus and growing in christ and submitting to christ listen it says with steadf- and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now in that, it doesn't excuse like, oh, well, I just need me and the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, knowledge is mentioned a lot, right? Like we need to grow. We need to challenge yourself. And we do. We have so many tools. So if the Lord doesn't call you to, to go to get further Christian education, it doesn't mean you stop learning. It doesn't mean you stop digging. Like, one of the things I appreciate about Brody is, man, I mean, he studies and he digs and he's basically equipped himself with the equivalent of at least a master of arts and religion. Like, this is awesome. And I think Zach was going to at least that. I was going to say doctorate, but he might be listening and I don't, you know. So uh, and <laughs> Zach, uh, Zach's got something to add to that.
3: Yeah, I'm going to say something real quick. I think uh, for some of you, especially if you're young and you have the time, there's a, there are a lot of churches now will say, we're not going to let you be our pastor or student pastor if you don't have a seminary degree. And so if you think that vocationally you want to be in the United States and you want to be working for a specific denomination or something, then for you, wisdom would dictate, yes, you need to get a seminary degree. But if also I want to point out that Um, getting to, and I was talking to, uh, one of y'all earlier, Zach, we were talking to such great, uh, we were, I was saying a seminary degree doesn't qualify someone to be uh, in ministry. And I think that that is a, that's a problem with the culture I just mentioned that says, we're not going to let you be a pastor or student pastor unless you have a degree, because all that does is say that you've learned a lot of information, or at least you pass an exam on certain information at one time in your life. And that does not qualify someone to be in ministry. If you're seriously wanting to be in ministry, um, the best way for you to do that is to be in ministry Underneath someone who's teaching you how to be in ministry, that's how you learn that. However, you do need to continue to grow and learn. And for some of you, that means you should go to seminary because you might not be a good self-starter and you'd rather have somebody that you're paying to tell you um, what you need to learn, and that's fine. But if you don't need it, if it's not required, then there's no necessary reason for you to do it. But you do need to continue to learn, continue to study. Scripture commands us that we need to study. We need to learn. We need to continue to grow, especially if you're trying to teach other people people, then you need to be learning and staying ahead of them and bringing them along with you. And uh, so uh, there's two uh, websites I think are helpful. Um, Austin, did you get my text message? I sent you great. Okay. Uh, BiblicalTraining.org and CovenantSeminary.edu. At least these are two that I know of. There's probably tons out there, but biblicaltraining.org has 30 plus classes. I mean, full seminary classes that you can listen to, or I think some of them you can watch, but who has time to sit and look at a computer for that long? But I mean, we're talking in this, there's probably, if you, If you took their resources, you could sit down and watch 24 hours a day for about three months before you ran out of material. And they cover every class that you would get in a seminary. So if you don't need it, but you want that information and you want to go at your own pace and learn, uh, you should use that. And the same thing with Covenant Seminary. They've got 20-plus classes. And depending on uh, your denomination and your beliefs on certain things, uh, you would not agree completely with Covenant Seminary. But that's where you just say, this is these are free classes i'm listening to i don't have to i'm not having i don't have to take take this test that says i should do this or that so um just really helpful stuff there's tons out there we live in an age where you can get a free education that is world class by pushing a couple buttons on your computer
0: absolutely great Thank you, guys, and thank you all. Uh, just a reminder, we will have all of these sessions and the panel discussion on podcasts as soon as we can so that you can go back and kind of unpack a lot of these messages and go back and re-listen to a lot of these, uh, these answers to tough questions uh, on your own. And so what we'll do now, we're going to take 10 minutes. So everybody get up, stretch, get some coffee. Uh, We're going to tear this down and and set the band up. We're going to take 10 minutes, and then we're going to go into our final uh, worship service of the retreat.